think we all need pep talk. The world needs you to stop being boring. Yeah, you. Boring is easy. Everybody can be boring, but you're gooder than that. Life is not a game, people. Life isn't a cereal either. Well, it is a cereal. And if life is a game, aren't we all on the same team? I mean, really, right? I'm on your team. Be on my team. This is life, people. You got air coming through your nose. You got heartbeat. That means it's time to do something. A poem. Two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the road less traveled. And it hurt, man. Really bad. Rocks, thorns, and glass. My pants broke. Wah! Not cool, Robert Frost. But what if there were really two paths? I won't be in the one that leads to awesome. It's like that dude Journey said. Don't stop believing, unless your dreams stupid. Then you should get a better dream. I think that's how it goes. Get a better dream and keep going. Keep going, keep going, and keep going. Will Michael Jordan have quit? Well, he did quit. No, he retired. Yeah, yes, he retired. But before that, in high school, what if he quit when he didn't make the team? He would have never made Space Jam. And I love Space Jam. What will be your Space Jam? What will you create will make the world awesome? Nothing if you keep sitting there. That's why I'm talking to you today. This is your time. This is my time. It's our time. We can make every day better for each other. But if we're all on the same team, let's start acting like it. We got work to do. We can cry about it or we can dance about it. We were made to be awesome. Let's get out there. I don't know everything, I'm just a kid. But I do know this. This is everybody's duty to give the world a reason to dance. So get to it. Awesome. Good morning, Mission View. It's so good to be here together, to worship together, to look at God's Word. Uh, I know that this was a uh, kind of a cute pep talk that was brought to us this morning, uh, but I want you to know that there's actually a point to it. Uh, we were created to be awesome. We were created to be awesome for God. We were to give Him glory in everything. If you haven't noticed yet, our theme of, of God's story is all about God's glory and the grace He wants to extend to those around us through you and I. And that's the story I want you to take away, that God created you to have influence. He created you to have a sphere of influence with those that are around you and for you to be an awesome representation of Him. When we started this journey of God's story, we started with the spotlight being on God. Boom. God. In the beginning, God. God existed. My friends, the whole story of this life is about God. We are just supporting cast members. It is all about God. And what's so cool is that God in the very beginning teed up man so that he could have success. He created an environment for man when he created him. He created them to have relationships with each other, for them to have a relationship with God, for them to 
to, to work for God, for them to think and to feel and to worship God with all their hearts. You package all that up and you realize God created us to give glory to him. He created us to have an influence, to extend that grace and that message of what he has done for us. Now, unfortunately, in Genesis 3, we saw that there was a bit of a glitch. And the glitch was man decided to exchange the glory of God for the glory of man, and man sinned. They went their own way. And from that point on, it stressed everything. It kind of gimped up all the relationships that man would have with each other and how man would operate with God. It made work more difficult. It made the emotions and the thought process all distorted. And certainly worship was affected because they were no longer worshiping God. They were worshiping their own desires. See, the point is that God created us for something and man decided to go his own way. That choice is always there for us. We could always live for our glory or we can live for God's glory. And the question is, what do we want to do? How are we going to do that? Here's what's encouraging. Even though man messed up in a major way, what's encouraging is that God promised a redeemer. He allowed there to be an avenue of faith from that point on that people could live by. He said that someday through the woman, there would be a redeemer, there would be an offspring, there would be a seed that would come and he would destroy the works of the enemy, predicting really the work of the cross, what Jesus would do someday. And from that point on, people had to choose whether to believe that or not. They had to choose to follow after God in faith. Now we know Abraham, he followed God, and it says that he believed God. Now here's the question for us. Do we have that kind of faith? You see, God has given faith as the ability both then and now for you and I to be able to have that influence and give him glory. That's our choice. Today, as we go through this message, here's a question I want you to think about. Do you want to find your place of influence that God has planned for you? Do you want to find the place that God has planned for you for influence? Hopefully, you do. But please know, it's only going to happen through faith. In Genesis chapter 15, this is what it says about Abraham. It says, Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we learn from character after character after Abraham that they believed in God. They had faith in God. If you want to see the cliff notes, go to Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll see this man had faith, and he believed in God, and this person believed in God, and this person believed in God, and this person believed in God. All throughout the te Old Testament, they believed in God. So here's the point. God created us to display his glory through every sphere of our life, through our work, through our relationships, through our emotions, through our worship. And he wants us to extend his grace to others, but that can only be done in faith, in faith in God. See, faith is a choice. And there are some people that are going through life and they're not living by faith. And please know that if you're living outside of faith, you will fail. You'll fail. 
Jesus said this. He said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is what it says in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 says this, given the contrast between those that have faith and those that don't. The mind of sinful man is death. That's without faith. But the mind controlled by the Spirit, there's faith, is life and peace. The sinful man is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. My friends, apart from faith, we can do nothing at all. So why am I spending time in this introduction to the message today? Why am I, in, why am I spending time highlighting this? My friends, there's a lot of people in this world that are pursuing everything but faith. They're pursuing everything but God. And they're striving for success. And I want you to know that some will receive success and some will achieve it. But please know that success will never fulfill an individual. Success won't do it. Money won't do it. A name won't do it. Nothing like that will give you meaning. It's kind of like as fleeting as the, new, the, the, the smell of a new car. It's going to leave eventually. Somebody's going to spill milk and it's going to smell sour in there eventually. You're going to have Cheerios rubbed into your upholstery you, if you have kids. It's going to be gone. It's going to be fleeting. Success is always fleeting. But influence and purpose is not fleeting. And God has designed you and I to live by faith so that we can bring him glory and have an influence for God. I want to pray that we would have the kind of influence that he has designed us for. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that as we open your word today, you would help us to see how important it is that we live by faith, that we live as individuals that are drawn to you and that we live according to your standard. Lord, it is your, our choice that we do that. But Lord, I pray that you would put upon each of our hearts how you want us to do that, how you want us to be obedient to you. And I pray, Father, that you would transform each and every one of us more into your likeness. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week, we saw how God painfully and patiently paved the way for sinful man to actually have influence. We went over 2,000 years to see how God ramped up the people of Israel so that they could be at a place at the apex of their influence. And it started with one man, Abraham, and that one man, through faith, turned into a family. And that family eventually turned into a nation, and that nation was led out of Egypt by a guy named Moses. They went through the wilderness, and that's where God gave them their identity. He gave them the law. He gave them the moral law. And he says, I want you to follow after me. And so this is what God did for the people of Israel. He led them through the wilderness using Moses. And then he gave them their own land. He took them into their own land and he gave them leaders to follow after. He gave them judges to listen to. He gave them kings for them to give instructions. In fact, one of those kings was King David. And God reiterated the promise that he did to Abraham, to David. And he says, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through your family line. In fact, I'm going to add something. Your throne will last forever. Your throne will last forever. 
And then, of course, David had a son, and his name was Solomon, and he was the wisest of all the kings. Now, I want to highlight the positive things. Solomon brought the people of Israel all the way to this place where they could be an incredible influence to all the nations around them. And he was the wisest of the kings, and he built an unbelievably grand temple to the Lord. And this temple is where the glory of God would reside. This temple was a place where people could go and they could cry out to God and God would give them forgiveness. And it didn't matter whether it was Jew or Gentiles. In fact, God wanted all the nations of the earth to hear about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the temple was so grand and it represented the name of God. They were at the top of their game. God had created this environment so that they could be a witness for God and draw all people to himself. In fact, people came from all over the place just to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So why did God do this? God did this so that his what? Glory could be known. My friends, it's always about the glory of God and his grace extended. Listen to 1 Kings 8, verse 60. It says, So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord God is their God and that there is no other God. See, that's what God did. He prepared them for success, just like he did with Adam and Eve, gave them success, prepared them for success. He did it with his nation. So guess what the nation of Israel did? Just like Adam and Eve, they exchanged the glory of God for the glory of man. And so today, we're going to see that they squander this. God teed it up so they could knock it out of the park, but they squandered it by following their own desires. In the next 25 minutes, we're going to cover 400 years of history. Now, that's a lot better than last week. We covered 2,000 years of history last week. Only 400 years of history. But let me give you a framework because it would be impossible for us to cover this in detail. Here's where we're going to go. First of all, we're going to see that Solomon takes the leadership in apostasy. In other words, he's the one that leads the people away from God. And as a result, God says, you know what, Solomon? I am going to bring judgment upon you and I am going to divide the nations. I am going to have a northern kingdom now and a southern kingdom. Now, what we know of the northern kingdom, not a single king would walk with God, and only a few kings in the southern kingdom would walk with God. And because of that, because the kings were rebellious, because the people were rebellious, God sent messengers called the prophets. Ever wonder why there was all these prophets that seemed like they woke up on the wrong side of the bed and were having a very, very bad day? It was because they had an assignment that they had to go and share the message of, if you don't turn, there is going to be severe consequences and of course, that's the final thing that we're going to see today is that God had to discipline them and he di disciplined the two kingdoms and he ultimately removes his glory from the temple. So our message today is called Weeping Grace. I want you to think about that. Why Weeping Grace? Because my friends, when God, it grieves God 
when he has equipped his people with all the right tools, with all the right resources, with all the right instructions, he's given us everything that we need and we choose to follow our own selfish desires. My friends, that's human nature. We still struggle with that today. God has given us so much, so much. But are we following God with all of our hearts? Now, we're going to first take a look at the negative stuff. We're going to take a look at the sins that they were guilty of. And it starts with leadership. As goes the leadership, we see. So we start with King Solomon. And you turn to 1 Kings chapter 11, would you please? 1 Kings, I'll refer to chapter 10 just a little bit. But we'll focus on 1 Kings chapter 11. What we're going to see is that Solomon takes a transition from doing everything right to now doing everything wrong. Now, what you need to know is that God in his sovereignty had already given instructions to what kings should do. And he had given it back in Deuteronomy, I believe it was Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 and 17. He gave instructions before kings even existed. He said, this is what I want of kings. He says there's three strike rule in terms of kings. Three things they are not to do. Strike number one is that they should not accumulate too many horses. So why is that? I mean, horses are nice. Well, in that day, horses equaled military might. And so he didn't want them trusting in their military might. He wanted them as kings to trust in God. And he definitely didn't want them to get those horses from Egypt because that was representative of the slavery that they had been in previous. Take a look at 1 Kings 10, verse 26. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he had stationed in the chariot city with the king in Jerusalem. Jump down to verse 28. And Solomon import, Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Ku. You see, he directly went against what God had said. That's strike one. Strike two is that they weren't to have, they weren't to amass too much silver and gold. Again, it's an issue of trust. I don't want you trusting in your finances. I don't want you trusting in all your riches. I want you trusting in me. And if you look in verse 20, uh, 27, you see this is exactly what Solomon did. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. He made silver. Other passages, you see that he made gold. And so he violated that. That's strike two. But the third one was probably the most grievous of all sins, and that was you were not to have too many wives, especially foreign wives, because foreign wives tended to bring in foreign gods. Now look at 1 Kings 11, starting in verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, uh, daughter of Pharaoh Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, uh, Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung 
to these in love. He had 700 wives, uh, princesses, and 300 concubines. Wow. He had wives that turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and after Milcon, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Kishmash, the abomination of the Moabs, and for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. Now I know you look at that and you say, I don't know what all that was, but it doesn't sound all that good. Here's the deal. Solomon led his nation down the wrong path. The fact of the matter is Solomon did not love God with all of his heart and he did not love his neighbor as himself and he, he broke the moral law, the Ten Commandments that God had given. See, I think this is a sobering reminder to us, to, to civil leaders. It's a sobering reminder to church leaders and to family leaders that the people that follow us, our people, our children, they will take our bad habits and they will compound them greatly. This is what happened with Solomon. And so God says there's three strikes, you're out. Look what he says to him in verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning these things, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice... And you have not kept my covenants and my statutes <clears throat> that I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I, I, I will not do it in your day, but I will tear it out of the hands of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son, for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Now, here's what you need to know here. God takes a united kingdom and now divides it. There's now the northern kingdom. There's now the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom would be ten tribes. And from this point on, they would be called the tribes of Israel. They would be called the tribes of Ephraim. Then there's the southern kingdom, which would be called the tribe of Judah. It was actually two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, but Benjamin was way too small of a tribe, so it was called the tribe of Ju Judah. Now, there would be a civil war through the rest of 1 Kings and through 2 Kings, and you can parallel this with First and Second Chronicles, and you see that there is a war that goes on between the north and the south. Now, for our studies, we are not going to study all the kings and the kingdoms that would take way too long just know that there was civil war. I will recommend a series to you that I have read myself called Gods and Kings by Lynn Austin. 
If you haven't read that, it is an incredible read, and it will bring to life everything that happened during those kings and how the people of Israel had fallen away, but occasionally God would use a man, a king, a righteous king, to bring at least the southern tribe back to him. So what were the big sins that they were a part of? Well, the biggest sins that they were a part of was idolatry and idolatry. Now, please know that these were kind of meshed in together. They were interwoven, and they opened up Pandora's box of other sins. In that day, foreigners brought in, introduced them to foreign gods. And again, we saw with Solomon, the gateway was his wife. And we saw in that list a bunch of different gods. Let me just highlight two of the wretched gods that they followed after. Now, I know as you look at this, you're going to say, this doesn't relate to me. Please bear with me because I think it does relate to us. The first god that, or goddess that they followed after was Asherah, which was the goddess of sex and fertility. Now, know this about them. If one wanted this god to bless them, then the males needed to have sex with the temple prostitutes. Now, obviously, men fell prey to this easily because it allowed them to engage their lust sanctioned by the gods. The other god was Moloch that they followed after. This god was even more dangerous because it required the sacrifice of their firstborn child in order for this god to bless the rest of their families. It was kind of like the needs of the many outweighs the needs of the few, so they would sacrifice one so that everybody else could be blessed. Please understand that these sins were built on superstition. They were built on greed. They were built on selfishness. And so with these being introduced, it just chipped away at the influence that God wanted them to have for him. And soon as people were saturated in doing these kind of things, it started to ruin the foundation of relationships with each other. Can you imagine the relationship between a husband and wife knowing that her husband has been having sex with a temple prostitute? Can you imagine the emotional and the mental turmoil knowing that you sacrificed your firstborn child? Can you imagine what that was like? It decimated their influence and in what God had done for them to do that. They didn't worship God anymore. They worshiped these gods that didn't even exist. Now, before we're too quick to condemn Solomon and the people of Israel, what we need to realize is that you and I have the same propensity for such sins. No, we don't worship Ashereth and we don't worship Moloch, but we do, we are up to our necks in sexual sins within our society. And we sacrifice our children at the tune of about a million children each year in abortion in this country. We have blood on our hands as a nation. And we do it on the altar of convenience. I would say that the church is exempt from these kinds of sins or other sins of idolatry. But here's the reality. I'm just speaking to you as your pastor. I believe one of the number one problems in the church is idolatry. 
one of the number one problems in the church is idolatry. Think of it this way. If an idol is anything that we put before God, put ahead of God, then the sky is the limit for our idolatry. We often put money before God. We'll do anything. It doesn't matter if, church, if we come to church or don't. Church is kind of an option thing. If it's business and there's a way that I can make more money, then I will do so. We put money before God in terms of sacrifice. We think of it as our money and it's what I've accumulated instead of thinking it that it's from God. And that I should be giving back to God what is his. That I should be showing faith by giving sacrificially. But we don't do that in today's society. We say it's because of skepticism. I don't believe in leadership or I don't believe in this or that. Or there's other reasons. But the bottom line is in our actions. We don't give sacrificially to God. We put our personal accomplishments before God. We want to get ahead in any way possible. And as a result, we'll sacrifice a little bit of our family. We'll sacrifice our walk with God. We put our children before God. My friends, we live in a society that bubble wraps their kids. We'll do anything for the sake of our kids. We'll climb the highest mountain for the best education. We'll do everything. And I'm not saying that parents shouldn't take care of their kids, but often it's at the sacrifice of really listening to what God would have them to do. I know parents that would say, if their coach said, hey, we got soccer practice 26 Sundays out of the year, they would be there 26 Sundays out of the year because coach says, because my kid has to be the best striker ever. We put our kids before God. Shall I continue to meddle? <laughs> we haven't touched on how we make sports an idol. We haven't touched on how we make social media an idol, how we make technology an idol, cars an idol, materialism an idol. My friends, we have an insatiable desire for things, and as a, as a result, we are in debt. One statistic I found this week said this, the average U.S. household credit card debt stands at 15000 611. That's for those that are carrying debt. Now, for many of those people, they are paying an interest rate somewhere between 14 and 20% of interest on this debt. The reality is that there are many believers that give more to the credit card companies in interest than they do the Lord. Here's what we got to ask. Do we think God is pleased with that? The fact is, most believers give less, this is a national average, this is actual statistics, less than 2% to God. What would happen to God's kingdom if we got our house in order? What would happen? Here's the lasting principle I want you to think about. The lasting principle is this. You will only find your place in God's plan. We asked at the very beginning, do we want to know God's place in, in our, 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 our place in his plan? You'll only know his place in, your plan, in his plan as you remain faithful to who God, uh, to the God who loved you, as you remain faithful to him. Friends, Israel, for Israel, God had set them up for success, but they traded the glory of God 
and they did not repent. God calls us to repent of our sin. God calls us to learn from the Old Testament. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, Now these things occurred in the Old Testament. Why? As examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Please evaluate. Do I need to repent of my idolatry or my adultery? Now that was their sin. But please understand, there was grace there was grace during the time of the prophets. There was grace in the time of the kings. There was grace. Here's three ways. Number one, God kept his promise. Did you notice in our passage that God said to Solomon, I'm going to allow you to have one kingdom. I'm going to allow one kingdom to keep true to my promise to, to, to David, which is also a promise to Abraham, and I'm going to keep true to that. We have a God who keeps his promises. We're told in Genesis 49 that also he promised it would be through the tribe of Judah. Listen to Genesis 49. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. In other words, kingship would come through Judah, that tribe, the tribe that David was a part of. Until he, I believe he's talking about the Messiah, until he, the Messiah, comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nation. God is faithful to make sure the promise to Abraham would be carried out so that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now here's a lasting principle that we can reap from this. You will only find your place in God's plan as you embrace the grace that he's extending to you. Do you realize that we can be like a million miles away from God? We can take a thousand steps away from God, but God is always throwing out a life preserver and saying, hold on, come back to me. It's one leap back to God and saying, I will trust in him. I will ask for the forgiveness of my sins, and that's the kind of God that we serve. God is always extending grace. Here's the second way that he extended his grace. He did it by warnings. He gave prophets. He gave prophets to give warnings. Look at 2 Chronicles. It'll be on the screen. 2 Chronicles 36 says this. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messenger of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against the people until there was no remedy. On the welcome table out there, you will see a, a timeline. We've covered a lot, so I wanted you to see all the things that we've been talking about. But on this timeline will be the place where the prophets spoke. Please know that God sent prophets to the northern kingdom. He sent Elisha and Elijah he sent Amos and Hosea to speak to the northern kingdom. He also spoke to Joel and Micah and Isaiah and Nahum and Zephaniah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk to the southern kingdom. God gave this message, I want you to repent. Now here's a lasting principle for you to think about. You can only find your place in God's plan if we listen. If we listen to the messengers that God has said, has spoken to us about. He has given us messengers today and that he wants us to listen to. My friends, the, the message of the prophets is still true to us today. 
Do not think that we're exempt from the judgment of God. In fact, we're told in 1 Peter that it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? Now, here's the good news. For the church, God's judgment isn't punitive. It's purifying. He wants to purify us. Those outside of Christ, it's punitive. But here's the deal. God will do whatever he needs to do in order for us to bear his name properly. He will use whatever he needs to do in his discipline. And really, that's the third grace that he does. He disciplines us. He disciplines us. He's disciplining the people of Israel. If you read in Deuteronomy 28, you see how much the heart of God was to bless the people. He said, hey, listen, I want to bless you, and I want you to prosper. I want to bless your house. I want to bless your crops. I want to bless your livestock. And I am going to protect you from foreign enemies if you'll just listen to me. If you just listen to me. But if you will not listen to me, I will bring judgment upon you. And I will curse your livestock. I will curse your families. I will curse the things about you, and I will take you into captivity. This is what he told the nation of Israel, and that's exactly what happened. In 722 the, the B.C., the, the northern tribe was taken away by the Assyrians, never to be seen again. In 586 B.C., the southern tribe was taken by the Babylonians into 70 years of captivity. Why? Because God is a God who's willing to discipline in order to get our attention. Here's the lasting principle. You'll only find your place in God's plan if you lean in to his discipline. My friends, there's some people here that are under God's discipline, maybe. I don't know. Chances are, because I've been there. I've been at that place where we've been in under God's discipline. And it's painful. It's painful. But God, according to Hebrews 12, he loves us. And he wants us to respond to his discipline. He wants us to repent so that he can produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. In a moment, these guys are going to lead us in communion. And we're going to prepare our hearts here in a moment. But as we do, I want you to see how the message ends. See, the message ends pretty much on a very low point. God had teed it up so that they could be witnesses for him, that they could represent to all the nations. And now under 400 years of disobedience, they come to a very low point where it says it, it, says it in Ezekiel 9 and 10 that God's glory departed from the temple. We look at 2 Chronicles 36 and we see that God had his, his beautiful, glorious temple completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. He removed his presence from them so that they could feel the discipline. Notice the progress. They went from spiritual adultery and warning was given, but they didn't yield to that warning. So God brought discipline. They didn't listen to the discipline. So God had to remove his presence from them. Here's the lasting principle that we need to hear. You will only, only find your place in God's plan as you own the grief 
that you have brought on to him by our sin. So how do we do that? How do we own our grief? There's three things. Number one, we embrace the grace of God. Unbelievably, God still extends his grace every single day to us, even when we mess up. He says in 1 John, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That can happen to the person that has never given their life to God. They would simply say, I, I yield. I believe in what you've done. I confess my sin. But it's also a believer who says, I've been off track. God, I'm coming to you. During the time before communion, there will be a song of repentance. Think about that. Think about how we have grieved God and confess those sins so that there's nothing between us. Here's the second thing. Embrace God's presence. God wants repentance so that he can have us near him. We see that in James. James says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God wants to draw near to us. And then finally, embrace the righteousness and peace that he offers. He wants to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. As we prepare our hearts for communion, let's first confess and fall broken before God.